0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night, wherever you are in the world, welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I'm floodman 11 joining me today I have Cookie Monster Rafael, the ever-present. How are you doing, Cookie? Uh, How did you do to you, Down Under Man? Yes, and also joining us today is uh, Baxter, good friend Baxter. Uh, How are you going, Baxter?
1: I'm doing well, how are you?
0: I'm doing pretty, pretty swell, but I'm also quite tired. Now, seeing as we've got Baxter on the podcast, you know that something controversial needs to be discussed. That's the only real reason we bring you on to these things these days, isn't it?
1: There, there's controversy in sports car racing? I'm shocked and appalled at the suggestion. Who
0: knew? Who knew? <laughs> um, but we'll get to that in a second. We'll start off uh, just talking a bit about the sports car news that's going on at the moment. Um, we've just come off of the uh, Geneva Auto Show that just started uh two or three days ago now and we've seen some really cool things that uh is relevant to the WEC um much like well the first thing the big headline for us at the WEC is uh the new rebellion has been released the rebellion R13 and oh my god let me tell you while it does look just like an oracle 7 it looks like a freaking beautiful oracle 7 am I all right guys
1: it is a pretty swanky car, and it is in FIA-approved red, white, and black.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's mostly red and black. It actually reminds me a lot of the 2016 Audi, I think. But, the, I mean, if you've got a classic combination, why change it, right?
1: You know, it's a little bit different of a styling than Rebellion has done before, either with the primarily red, uh, the... Uh, Valiante from last year. Um, but I like I'm liking the uh, primarily black.
0: Mm, it does look pretty swish. Cookie, what do you reckon? Uh, swish
2: for Loki. That's very nice. Uh, it's I like it. Um, it's very it's very Audi-esque. So that's why I like it. Um, but, uh, you know, livery aside, uh, let's talk about that body work, though. So we see a little bit more vent ventilation, so definitely more cooling uh, and a weird looking front end, which is slightly different, but basically the same. Now, is that low downforce or high downforce? I think that's high downforce,
0: right? I think that's high downforce. <sighs> who, who knows anymore? Like, uh, we, we've got one and a half rounds until Le Mans, so it could be either. Could be both. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. It's, it's one and a half rounds until Le Mans and, like, eight rounds until Le Mans.
0: Uh, the, okay, so
2: here's here's the interesting thing from my perspective is that, um, just from an aerodynamic standpoint, and I'm just an idiot for, when it comes to that aspect... Um, the the difference that we saw prototypes kind of have this similar look ten years ago. Um, and now we're kind of sort of, you know, seeing obviously Aureka thinks that like the stepped kind of like, you know, from the the nose of the, you know, of the of the actual car to basically the windshield, it's basically on a steady inclined plane almost of an arrow. Yeah. Instead of like basically this F1 esque. You've got a pretty much a upright nose that's jacked way high in the well, air. Old school, well, not
0: not even right. old school F one anymore. It's like 2012 something F one. Right. The right. So, which is which is the solution that Leisure especially have. Right, exactly. So I'm
2: I. It's I think it's really fascinating to look at those two different philosophies of arrow. I mean, you saw it anyway in lmp two how they're very similar, but now even in Lp one where I would assume it's a little bit more advanced. I mean, you're still seeing. The difference of kind of even aero philosophies very, very starkly in the two. So that that is interesting to me that they kept that aspect of the Eureka. Like, I thought they might change the front end a little bit uh, more than they did. I'm actually really surprised that really there's not a whole lot of difference between the two.
1: One other thing to remember coming up on the super season is that uh, the privateer cars aren't actually limited to the two aero kit regulation like Toyota is going to be. So, you know, uh, mm. as Cookie mentioned, the difference between the low and the high downforce, they could have a low and a high and a mid and an Evo high and an Evo mid and even a second Le Mans body kit yeah, all the, in the yeah. next uh, super season. <laughs>
0: I didn't think of that, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm wondering how many
0: teams will take advantage of that because it's obviously going to be something very costly, but it could bring an extra step in their results because we've now seen, I think, almost all or all of the new lmp one challenges, which means that we can kind of start to get a feeling for maybe whereabouts things might be heading perhaps a little bit. Um, But of course, we will know more on April 6th when we have the 36-hour prologue, uh, which I am really, really excited for. Uh, Moving on from the New Rebellion, one thing that we didn't get at Geneva that we were really hoping for was the confirmation or anything to quell the rumours of a new manufacturer in GTE. It seems like, at the moment, the way that the sports car community has been talking for the past three to four weeks, that every one of these dogs is going to join GTE in the next season. You've had talks of McLaren. You've had talks of Lamborghini. Scuderia Glickenhaus has even said, yeah, we're going to join GTE. Like, what? (laughs) I... We were really I was really disappointed on a personal level to see that McLaren didn't, re, re, didn't didn't reveal a GTE car because I thought McLaren and GTE was almost a sure thing at this point. I, I yeah, it's weird. I mean, I I think I made the claim after Le Mans last year that they were going to
2: be in here by now or they would have at least announced something. So, I guess I'm kind of on the fence or I'm on the hook for that, but uh yeah, I uh I I don't know. I I'm I feel it's okay that it's not <laughs> the the Senna um it's uh it it screams very halo car ish and uh i don't really think it looks i don't know i i feel like it doesn't it doesn't fit the merit of what gt is although gt can basically be anything at this point in terms of like the actual road vehicle costs but i don't know yeah it, it was strange to not hear anything in terms of what we thought were going to be some form of news outside of Glithouse, i mean but yep. that was, didn't didn't the 003 supposed to also be potentially, or like they said their goal was to go to Le Mans, right? To drive to Le Mans, race it, and drive back. <laughs>
0: that's that's but always yours... been Glickenhaus's sort of shtick, yeah. I guess.
2: Even with the 002 and 003, it was their thing. But I guess 004 is supposed to finally get there, right? Is, so we're finally, is it like this is the next step for them, I guess? Uh,
1: it, it sounds like they're actually aiming for LMP1. And that's actually kind of the interesting thing. All of these cars that we thought, well, you know, might be a GTE, they seem to be in this kind of, you know, no man's land between not wanting to commit to GTE until they know what the 2020 LMP top class regulations are going to be. Are they going to be roughly what we've had before, uh, where it's full on prototype? Super scooped and scalloped bodywork and all, or are they going to look a little bit more like the old GT1 cars where you know you can make something that kind of looks like a Valkyrie, even though it might not be built off of a Valkyrie? Uh, in which case, there's you know, you wouldn't want to put all this effort into building a GTE car. Only to race it for one season, and then and really that, yeah. wish that you had been in the top class to go mm. for overall wins, which McLaren has been very vocal about saying that that is their goal.
0: Yeah, and totally. I and I think the center is the epitome of the sitting on the fence, and I we had that backed up by a, a DSC article talking about what this means for McLaren and motorsport in the coming few years, and they basically said that. They basically said, it's a car that shows that they can build a GTE, because it's apparently able to be homologated for GTE or something along those lines, Um, but it, um, it has the... The impression of wanting to push on into the top class and wanting to do something like that. Just quickly on the Glickenhaus thing, um, it was a article posted by Motorsport Total, which is a uh, motorsport uh, outlet in uh, Germany, um, saying that they were expecting the Glickenhaus to be built to GTE and GT3 spec for the SCG004. So that was a explicit. We're expecting this. So it's it could be something. We haven't heard anything official from Glickenhouse, but of course, then Glickenhaus also retweeted that article. So is that official? I don't even know anymore.
1: I mean, it it's rich guy with a really cool car doing really cool things. I think uh, whatever it ends up being, it's going to be pretty cool. When you put it like that.
0: I'm, I'm inclined to ugly. agree. Blur. I can word at the moment. One thing that we did get from the uh, Geneva Auto Show that we were on, that was a little unexpected, at least for my part, was a new GT4 car was announced, a GT4 uh, Alpine A110. Now, I'm a big fan of the Alpine A110. The fact that they brought it back as a road car, I thought was fantastic. And now they're bringing it out as a GT4 car to add to the likes of Porsche, BMW, Mercedes-Benz, uh, KTM, Janetta, um, who else we got in that GT4 class? McLaren as well. GT4 is turning into a real hotbed of competitiveness, and we just saw yesterday, I think, uh, it was announced that uh, the uh, Blank Pain GT4 series has reached a capacity grid already uh, some weeks out from, from the series actually starting. So, new GT4 car, looks real pretty, and I love it in that, like, azuri blue
1: yeah you know i feel like this is the kind of car that looks like what a gt4 car should look like you know it's it's got these smooth body lines uh the second set of headlamps on the front that look like they're x'd out with tape uh you know good old school hey you know i took this car out of the showroom and i just you know put some tape and a roll bar in it and went racing um Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the, you know, of McLarens and you know just these absurd things. The AMG basically detuning a GT3 car, Mm. Um, but this just looks like you took a road car, slapped a splitter and a wing on it, and and prepped it to go racing. I love it.
2: Oh yeah, I've been just nodding you just your entire speed that like seriously that perfect like that's the exact thing that i i love about gt4 again like the the marks that i'm I'm not a huge fan of is because it doesn't fit like what i feel like the essence of that category is which is exactly what you said just like production-esque road cars which you see them obviously doing the necessary things you want to do to take it to a racetrack but it's all done professionally and it looks clean it looks great like it's a great looking gt4 car and i hope like at some point in the future, we get like the uh, the 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 sprint race for Le Mans. We can start getting the GT fours there, and I'd love to see some Alpines going through uh, going through Le there, oh like uh, in the morning before Le Mans. That would be great. <laughs> so yeah, I'll all positive things about that. Outcome.
0: Don't worry, don't worry about Le Mans. We've got a GT four class at Bathurst, at the twelve hour. One of those going around Bathurst for twelve Ooh. hours. Oh, that's oh, I can't wait to go there next year now and hopefully see what. Anyway, um, so that's that's. A pretty well a uh, wrap of the all the relevant parts of the WC uh, from Geneva. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, no no confirmed GTE car. But at the moment, with the gluttony of GTE we have uh, coming up this year that we still haven't even seen yet, let alone talked about, um, it's not that much of an issue. We'll probably see in the coming years um, more cars look to come to GT3, GTE rather until the 2020 regs get released when whenever that is. Um, another thing that has happened over the past month or so is that the uh, the season launch for the WEC for Le Mans and for the ELMS uh, was completed last. I can't even remember when it was now. Last month at some point. Um, but what that has mean is that we've seen a concrete uh, calendar for each of the series and a concrete entry list for each of the series. So we're just going to go through a, a few of the more exciting things. We'll start off with the WEC Super Season. Um, we've jumped up now in LMP1 from, uh, I think it's, uh, sorry, five full season entries to now 10. We've lost three, from, three or more, I think, from LMP2. Uh, GTE Pro has swelled now to 10 entries as well. And gte has gone from a somewhat paltry five entries to a full season grid of nine. So we've gained a bunch of cars in GTE-M, a bunch of cars in GTE-Pro, and a bunch of cars in LMP1 at the expense of LMP2 for a capacity grid of, I think it's 36 cars for the coming super season. So, what are your what are your thoughts on on firstly just the class distribution? Uh, we've lost a few cars from what was the most competitive class last year, but in return we gained across the board.
2: That's the main takeaway for me is that right P two was insane last year. I, I can you know no one's going to disagree with me there. But spreading that kind of competitiveness throughout the rest of the classes, I think, is while it it may make the overall race story suffer potentially because you always had p2 to fall back on right like uh four and a half hours in and and most of the other classes were pretty much spaced out you still had a really close fight for p2 um i feel that you know may not be always uh you know as a fallback for excitement whenever the race is going on but i feel like that is spread out enough in the rest of the four the three classes that you're going to see action most of the time anywhere in those three uh, different classes and extremely competitive and good storylines throughout it. So I'm, I really, really like the uh, the kind of spread of the car numbers. My takeaway, it's going to be negative, but my takeaway will be how many, if at all, which would be great, will drop and not finish now, that are on the entry list now that will not complete the full super season or not make it to the finish. And I wonder if that's a likelihood and who that might be as well.
0: Mm, that's a very interesting thing. to
1: yeah and that's that's definitely one of those concerns that's evergreen in the WEC um and probably more so this year where there's only one round before the first Le Mans hopefully that's something that after the super season is over we don't really have to worry about anymore because you you can't just sign up for the WEC run at you know two or three rounds and get to Le Mans you've got to run the whole thing at that point but yeah, it's it's great having such a such a large grid. You know, the top uh, most cars that the WEC has ever had. Yeah, you know, just the fact that they've been able to expand that is great, and just the fact that there are only what like a handful of actual invites to Le Mans because the WEC is packed, and then just so many automatic entries got taken up uh it definitely is speaking to the health of the series especially after a year uh, last year where we had i think two reserve entries and this year there were 10 and they weren't even sure that they you know people were you know even in the 10 entry reserves people are still arguing that you know there's five other cars that probably deserved to be on there
0: yeah it's the thing you uh, point to about the health of the series is a really important thing because about well 8 or 10 months ago or even 6 months ago we were talking about how worried we were for the health of the series. This was coming out of the uh, Mexico WEC round, uh, which was a podcast that you were actually on Baxter, weren't you? So to come out of that and be ha- be so, so positive looking towards the prologue is really surprising and not a position I thought that we would be in, but here we are. Uh, just a few, uh, a few things I want to just shoot off from the entry list that are really interesting. Um, we have got. Uh, I mentioned before. We have now seen all of the LMP1 cars except for the bi collars, but that is still on the entry list. I would be I would be interested to see how much of a commitment they make to the WEC this season, seeing as it's a super season sort of thing, um, and whether or not they can get their stuff together to actually be competitive or you know even race at at all. I just I would just like to see them on the grid and not on fire. Please.
1: Well, that's why they haven't shown the car is the extinguishant hasn't dispersed enough.
0: God damn it. Um Moving down to LMP2, uh, we've gone, as I said, from I think 10 or 11 entries to 7, but there is a few really interesting stories in those 7 entries, and the first one is, uh, well, there's two that I want to point out straight away. The first one is that there's no mana in this class anymore, at least in the WEC, because they have stepped up, of course, to LMP1. Uh, Second thing is that we have new entries into the WEC Super Season from... Uh, Labra competition in a P2 and also uh, Racing Team Netherland, which uh, what that does is that now spreads the the shapes of the LMP2 class in the WC to feature three of the four chassis uh, for LMP 2 The only problem I have with that is, is I do not expect Racing Team Nederland to be any sort of way successful or competitive, which is kind of a bummer. I would have loved to have seen uh, Settler or Corsa, or um, uh, High Class Racing make that jump up, but I guess neither team is really in that position uh, to, to jump up to a full season, a full super season for that matter. But still, we now actually have three of the four chassis developers for LMP2 in the WEC. So it's no longer formal Orica. Woo!
1: Woo! Uh, you know, and the other thing is, a- as we know, you know, the sport comes in waves. You get, you get strength and then you get things receding a little bit. So it's really nice to see this really strong LMP1 class where, you know, a fair m- number of the LMP2 teams... You know, having moved up, uh, you know it hurts LMP2, but we have this this ten car double digit LMP1 grid, which is fantastic. So you know, you know we'd love to see some more LMP2s, but I'm not sure that the series will be wanting uh, four prototypes, given the the state of seventeen cars across the two. Uh, LMP classes.
0: Yeah, and if you look at the two teams that have moved up from the season last year, uh, sorry, uh, Rebellion and Mana, if you take those two teams out of LMP2, you've, you're you've left with the seven entries that we have, and we've even gained, yeah, ra- as I said, Racing Team metal and Lara Competition, and uh, we've dropped down to one Alpine car. But um, in those cars as well, we still, uh, we still have more stories. This is ridiculous. So firstly... Alpine is a very interesting story in the fact that that car's amateur driver is now going to be Pierre Thierry of the Thierry by TDS racing fame, who has stepped across from what was the G-Drive car, which I said was going to be a shoe-in for the championship and ended up being a steaming pile of dog poop. So, hopefully... He does has a better year in the Alpine. The second thing that I really want to point out that really surprises me is the nomination of Jasmine Jafar as the uh, signature driver for the number 37 Jackie Chan DC racing car. So if you've been a fan of uh, the wider sports car community and specifically the Blank Pan GT series over the past two or three seasons, that's a name that will ring a bell. Um, he was a, a HTP development driver, I think, and uh, his name sticks out to me as someone who can get the uh, who was a, a bronze driver rating at the time, but uh, in the 2016 Monza race, uh, the three hours of Monza, he and Côme Ledegar had a fantastic battle for the lead of that race, and it's been fantastic now to see him push on from that experience at HTP to get a LMP2 drive. So that's really exciting for me. But I think that really wraps up the big exciting stories in LMP2. Why is sh- it
2: exciting for you, Flood?
0: Because sorry, I, love, I, uh, I love seeing the... the Australians the ladder in, of in GTM. Yeah, well, he's not even in GTM, he's in LMP2. But I love seeing the, the sports car oh, ladder actually come into effect. I like seeing yeah. the, the guys who make an impression at the GT3 factory stage or even before that, to get to the factory drives in GTE, then push on to do even bigger things. Because I think that's yeah. important. I think cycling the talent at the top, or even well, I mean, you'd say LMP2 is sometimes at the top with the sort of competition that they have. Um, I think that's a really important thing. If we keep seeing the same names at the top, kind of comes a little stale, but with with this seeing new names pop up and be competitive it's, it's a really important thing, man.
1: You know, it, it's good to see the Asian market really start to grow and come into its own uh you know, between Jafar and uh, Jackie Chan DC Racing and just, you know, the Asian Le Mans series that, you know, against what I think a lot of us expected, has lasted more than a year or two, uh and is actually building a grid. Uh it's good. It it means health for the entire sports car ecosystem
0: mm. and and it's a good way for teams uh to to get a shot at le mans if they're maybe not the quality of uh, a yoda sport or a uh something like that because g drive a g drive yeah um we'll talk the about evil that Empire. in a second we should just uh move on now to the gt side of the WEC, and as I've said already, we have 10 full season entries for GTE Pro, two from the five manufacturers that have committed to the super season, and nine in GTE Am, including four brand new Porsche 911 RSRs from last year, Uh, two of which being run by Proton, I think, and uh one for, one by golf one by a new team called Project 1. So really good health in GTM. Uh we've already seen a preview of what GTE Pro should bring from Daytona. Um but we didn't see the Aston Martins and I'm really really excited to see Alex Lynn in a GTE Pro f- full factory season drive. That that's really cool. Great great news all around for GTE. Um obviously
2: Pro is going to be uh, another intense battle and I think uh it'll be a uh, I'm still a huge believer in the uh, BOP system that the WC does. And uh, I prefer that one just because it's all automated and it's all touch, you know, hands off with the, uh, with uh, politics, mechanics, engineers, all the, all the lot. So I'm hoping good things from that and, um, you know, let the chips fall where they may in GT pro. I have no idea who's going to be a favorite for that, but GTM is great. I, yeah, I mean, we, I feel like we've had discussions sometimes about whether or not GTM will exist, whether or not it should be here. I mean, it's just it's it's a resilient category that will I don't know if it'll ever go away in its capacity right now. And even if we get a ton of GT Pro, so like, let's say we get f- like four more, three more manufacturers coming in for GT Pro. So you're down to two or three in the class, maybe. But I just genuinely don't think that it'll go away. You'll always have got, you know, engineers that want to step up and do this and have some of their stuff funded by uh, some gentlemen drivers. I, I just don't see this class ever really going away unless GTE goes away in some manner. So so it screams at the health of the class. That's a scary yeah. thought. And just uh, to
0: just to round this on to what Baxter was saying a moment ago of the uh, contingency, the health of the Asian contingency of sports car racing, two of the teams um, that have... St- uh, one that's carried over from last year, another one that stepped up into this class, Clearwater Racing and MR Racing, are from the Asian corner of the grid. So it's good to see that that sort of aspect is still being... Um, taken on on board and kept along as well because last year we had what clearwater racing and oh it might have been spirit of race which is also here as well so yeah now we've got three so a third of the grid in gtm is going to be from the asian le mans series stepping up from the asian le mans series so i think is a big achievement so what do you think about gt on the pro oh sorry on the whole Baxter?
1: i think this is going to be another great year for gte uh especially with uh, this being basically the one season of overlap between BMW and Ford. Uh, so, you know, in the near future, uh, this is about as good as GTE Pro is going to get. Um, you know, and then, you know, who knows, maybe it gets a little bit superseded in 2020, 2021, when who knows what happens in the top class. But yeah, I mean, the fact that. There's such a subscription and uptake of the automatic entries in GTE that the invite committee was only able to invite one car, one GTE car to Le Mans. Uh, I mean, it speaks to commitment. You know, it would be great to have some of the guys that race in IMSA, race ELMS or Asian Le Mans who've really put weight behind GTE get that chance to jump up the fact that so many are actually getting there on success or just straight up being there already in the WEC is again it's great news
0: so who so who's your pick for GTM who's your who are you throwing all of your weight behind who's your, who's the the one team that you're going to support to the end uh,
1: I mean GTM is just so hard to pick um well that and I'm a I'm a Corvette fanboy so you know there, there is none so I mean it, it's it's just so nice to see a diverse grid that can go out there and just go hammer and tongs you know just a little bit behind the the factory teams and uh, it's always a good show mm.
0: Very, very diplomatic. Uh, I like that. What about you, Cookie? I'm pull.
2: I'm pull for some Porsches, man. I mean, those things scream, dude. And they really haven't done too much last year, anyway. Those things really haven't seen victory lane that much. So uh, I'd love to see uh, oh, them man, get you me some class wins. You me hey, man, sad, look. There's mo- there's like four of them in this stupid class, dude. You mean you have a good chance of like getting a class win? Like you're you're like, in two
0: categories. God, just. Porsche fans are okay. just so no now, now <laughs> God. Okay. Well, okay. I mean, you're right. Yeah, we saw what one class win in GTLM, I think. Anyway, um, I'm also throwing that was all of my rock. Weight, uh, yes, throwing all my weight behind all of the Porsches because. Two really good stories in here. One, Matteo Cairoli back again in Dempsey Proton Racing. Fantastic breakout season last year. Can't wait to see more of him. And two, I actually have some sort of patriotic connection to one of these teams as well now. Which is fantastic. Um, in the number eighty-eight proton competition, Porsche uh, is a driver by the name of Matt Campbell, uh, one of the drivers from the Porsche Young Drivers Program, who's from Australia and has been on a fast track to getting into one of these drives for years and years and years. And to finally see him there is going to be amazing, and I'm so excited. Yo, Matt Campbell! The <laughs> entire the entire sports car community of Australia believes in you.
2: Oh.
0: Just like he believed in all the other Australians that were in the sports car community. I mean, what, like Mark Webber, who won the championship three times. I guess,
2: yeah, I I guess there is a lot of just Kiwis and stuff, and that's pretty much... Yeah, bloody Kiwis, they're everywhere. I know. Well, well, good luck. I mean, hopefully there's uh, some down-under
0: wins are in store for Matt Campbell. I'm pretty excited. It'll be be really good to see him, because... uh, like we've even talked about him in uh, some of the podcasts last year for Bathurst, he was one of the co-drivers for one of the top teams, and he has been um, showing a lot of promise. And and he actually can't do that now because too many conflicts with this. So I feel like he's uh, finally broken into the top part of his career path, which is really really nice. So, 36 cars, 36 cars for the WEC are moving down to ELMS, which had its season launch at the same event. And now they have 41 cars on the grid, uh, which I think is also close to a capacity grid. Um, 17 LMP2 cars, 18 LMP3 cars... And unfortunately, uh, unlike the GTE side in the WEC, the GTE side in uh, the ELMS is a little lean at six entries. But still, you have a combined 35 prototypes. 35.
1: Ah, oh, maze balls.
0: Basically, yeah. You've, it's, it's a ridiculous... Prospect that you're gonna have 35 prototypes on track at the same time. They're probably mostly gonna be competitive.
1: um But do you remember when Elms was like six cars, and no. now, and now it's like 35. It you know, it it was so bad that they had to come over for Petit Le Mans because they were like, yeah, we just can't like hold our own race, so we're just gonna cancel the second half of the season and and go to Petit instead. And, you know, I think credit where it's due, the ACO has really created a platform and a format that just plain works. Uh, I mean, you know, honestly, on all three continents with a with a big, you know, ACO rules sports car series in the States and Europe and in Asia. I mean, it's all working really, really well, and it's good to see.
0: It's a little scary that it is, though. It's something we really haven't seen a lot, that all the pieces kind of fit together. And, I mean, you can argue that certain pieces aren't going to fit together really nicely, which we'll talk about later. But at least uh, at least we're seeing the sort of the hierarchy have its place and uh, show that if you are competitive in these series, you will be able to move up. Yeah, it's 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 just really good to see so much competitive racing, basically on demand, with the amount of series that we've got at the moment and the amount of interest that we've got in the moment. Uh, the the LMP two field in the ELMS is really the where all the top LMP two teams are this year, I think, because uh, because of the movement of Manor and Rebellion up into the WEC, that does leave a little bit of a hole in the WEC in terms of. Top level competitiveness. Sorry, let me rephrase. The WC still might have the cream of the crop, but I think the overall uh, competitiveness and interest in a series in LMP2 will be in the ELMS because you have teams from Dragon Speed, you have two cars from United Autosports, you have uh, Algar Pro, pa- Bar- 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 Bartez, uh, s and Racing uh, are supplementing their WEC LMP1 program with a program for the LMS and LMP2. Um, you have Graf with two cars, Setile Villorba Corsa, high class racing. So, you know these are teams that we have been talking about for the past two, three seasons as being quality teams with uh, interesting lineups and can snatch a result. But the the elephant in the room, I guess, with the LMP two class in the ELMS was a very interesting thing on the entry list where we saw the G Drive Racing Orica of uh. Roman Rusinov have, in that car as well, Matteo Vaxivieri and uh, jean eric Verne. Now, what do you notice about those three guys at the moment?
1: Who's the amateur? Hey, driver ratings! Woo! Who doesn't love a driving ratings discussion?
0: Everyone. (laughs) basically um but yeah you're right there was no amateur in the lineup it was an all pro lmp2 lineup and that set alarm bells ringing across the sports car world and And it only took until I think two days ago for the ACO to come out and say, no, actually we we can't allow this, which I think is a fantastic move because really if you start allowing all pro teams in an LMP2 class, it just undermines the entire integrity of the class and what it set out to do. So the fact that that has been rescinded gets a big tick in my book. Now they just got to rescind the other dumb driver rating thing that they've done.
1: Hashtag ban driver ratings.
0: Is that really going to solve the problem, though?
1: I mean, yeah, I think you either have to go back to you're either an amateur, a.k.a. somebody who spends money to go racing, or you're a professional, somebody who gets paid money to go racing. And, you know, you you got to just make it that. You know, the fact that Roman was a silver driver for so long despite having been, you know, a Formula One test driver. I mean, uh, presumably a paying one, but I mean, the fact that you can have these guys that spend so much time as a silver driver and, you know, it's not it's not just Roman. Um, you look at Catherine Leg in Imza who is a silver rated driver, even though she's absolutely not an amateur driver, nor is she really a young driver, which I can see the case for, Hey, you know, give, give drivers coming up through the ranks, you know, say five years to really find their space and, and get that attention and that notoriety to get, start getting paid. Um, but the fact that you have, you know, the fact that everybody knows, oh, yeah, there's sneaky silvers. Let me find the fastest guy who's rated silver so I can go off and and beat all the bankers and dentists who are coming to pay and spend all their money. And, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. There's there's the driver ratings rant for March 8th, 2018.
0: <laughs> That's actually a really interesting point that you made about the likes of Catherine Legg and those sort of silvers. I'd never really thought about that. You've given me things to ponder, Baxter.
1: Hmm. That's, okay, I, I I feel like I'm just, I going to just
0: I before we go into a real tirade about driver ratings and everything, I feel like I need to cut this short because we still got I plenty it. to get through. <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it.
1: Hey, while we're at it, let's let's rant about BOP. Oh no, why did I let this happen?
2: What? BOP. What about
1: EOT, dude? Come
2: on. That's that's do you oh oh the arguments that are gonna come Stop. from EOT adjustments Stop. this Stop. year for private series to hybrids Stop. It's gonna be amazing. Yes. The- oh,
1: oh, and track limits? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna
0: shut this down. We'll continue the rest of it. No. Okay, enough about driver ratings, um, except for the one one last thing I want to talk about regarding driver ratings is the other elephant in the room that we have with the WEC at the moment, which is the fact that a bronze driver is going to be driving an LMP1 car. Hmm, what's up with that? I thought that wasn't going to be allowed, but I guess it will be. And it's a very interesting dilemma that we have because, of course, we're talking about uh, Heinrich Hedman, um, who is the guy who is... The money behind the Dragon Speed effort at Le Mans uh, and in LMP1 rather, and uh, he he is a very bronze driver. Let's get this straight very uh, straight out of the gate. I'll be honest. When I saw that Heinrich Hedman would be driving in LMP1 for the Dragon Speed car, I kind of in my head wrote it off from getting any sort of promising results. I mean, not to say that the rest of the team will be bad. It's just that uh, Hedman is a fair handicap. But uh, there is still being uh, he he is still going to be able to drive in that class as a bronze, uh, which you're not meant to be able to do. And it's also there's also a fact that he actually doesn't meet any of the requirements for silver, even if he was skilled enough for a silver, because he's past the age limit of being a silver. If that makes sense, once you get to certain ages, you automatically get downgraded unless you're a factory driver. So so yeah what is what is going to happen with that do we just kind of leave it and just be like yeah okay i guess or do we bump him up to bronze uh, to to silver just because or i uh, yeah i don't know it's just the kind of the other elephant in the room
1: i mean it really does go back to the whole okay you know driver ratings are kind of stupid um you know is he a safe pair of hands yeah he's pretty safe um are LMP2 cars absurdly fast and, you know, really not that much slower than the LMP1 he's going to be driving? Yeah, they're really fast. Like, especially compared to an LMP1 car of even five or six years ago. Yeah, they're bonkers fast. Uh You know, if he wants to spend money for the car to, to go into LMP1, And yeah, you know, he's probably not going to win many races, more power to him, as long as he's not, you know, Tracy Croning it up and backing it into the gravel every other lap or, you know, running into GTE Am Ferraris. Hey, you know, I have absolutely no problem with uh, with him being bronze, apart from the fact that the fact that bronze exists is dumb. Cookie?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it's more of the same here, but to be, again, yeah, I'm all for pretty much scrapping at this point, the, uh, the driver rating system. If he wants to be a gentleman driver and stays in LMP one, and if he is not a threat to him, his family or society, then go (laughs) ahead and let him drive. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, we might have another situation where we feel absolutely horrible when a GTE team like Rizzy just gets absolutely annihilated. Uh, or a Porsche um, in the in the Porsche curves gets annihilated by by him, but that's just the the risk you take with having somebody a gentleman driver wanting to step up into something that fast. And if you're okay with it, then let it happen. I like so. Yes, it's butting up against the driver rating system, which means that the driver rating system is stupid and it's incorrect in this situation. So he should be allowed to do that if he's not going to kill somebody.
1: That's he, my and and on the other hand. Is it actually better to be in the car that has the significantly higher top speed and better brakes to make it easier to pass these GT cars? Because, hey, you're you're just cruise by them on the streets and you don't have to try these crazy dive bomb moves or to be fair, the LMP two class
0: the, the LMP two class does have the speed. If we're talking somewhere like Le Mans, does have the speed to just wrap them all wrap up all the GTEs anyway, because the LMP two class in a straight line is actually faster than the LMP ones. At least that was true last year with the 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 new regulations for privateers. That may be different, but still, and yeah, the more that get, more that he gets talked about, the less worried i am about the fact that he's bronze because i think in my head was like he's bronze like that can't work it's not not that's not how it's going to work but as the discussion's gone on like the fact that he's bronze has become a bit of a non-issue and more of the fact is okay is he going to be dangerous and i don't think he will be because he has had a few seasons of the lms in these lmp2 cars which are as baxter put it bonkers fast so that doesn't worry me as much cool Moving on from driver ratings forever and now. Never going to have to talk about them ever again. Ever again. Wait, I mean, hold on. Hold
2: on. Wait a sec here. Wait, I got to talk at some other point. You can't say that. That's, okay. that's
0: not... For the immediate, the immediate okay, uh, future. Um, uh, just quickly wrapping up ELMS. Uh, big lmp 3 field. A lot of the same teams that we saw from last year, plus a, new, a few new teams stepping up from the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Again, Good to see the hierarchy and the ladder working. There's still not really any sort of names that I can really pick out of the LMP 3 field that I can go, yep, this is someone to watch, except for the, like the usual guys from United and uh, M-Racing. Um, but one thing I am disappointed about is the GTE class in the EOS, um, and it's less so that there's only six and more so that we've lost a step of the variety. We've now gone back to just Ferrari and Porsche, which is a bit sad, um, but I think with the new Aston Martin coming out, with the fact that Ford don't want to sell any uh cars to customers with no uh, Corvettes really being available. I guess this is the world that we live in now. Um, But still some very interesting drivers. Uh, Cairoli and Matt Campbell from the Porsche side have been chucked into the GTE class for the uh elms you've also got um fabio babini in an evi motors car which is also going to be driven by uh christina nilsson at le mans which i think is fantastic and then you've got the the usual spirit of race and jmw motorsport from last year plus Crane racing makes its return uh with tracy Crane behind the wheel of a ferrari so, who's excited to see how that turns out?
1: Yay. I love me some Tracy Crone. Green, blue, sky, car. fire.
0: <laughs> I, okay, just quickly, we'll talk about Tracy Crone. He does have an outstanding ability to be able to spin the car in absolutely absurd situations and just not hit anything. I, I, I think he's the cleanest, crashy, crashy in inverted commas uh am driver i've ever seen and he's quick too so i'll give him that i'm i'm actually not I, i'm actually a crone fan i'm a closeted crone fan there you go i'm coming out as a he, crone fan
1: he's faster than i would be so you know
2: now, i disagree with that all right i think <laughs> i i could potentially drive faster than tracy now i don't have as, as much on track experience but i feel like if given the opportunity i could
0: Given the opportunity, my
2: callous uh, ability to think that I
0: could be ten years of experience and all of the money in the world, you could,
1: if only you were as good at launching car dealerships. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Up that uh, conversation we had earlier, uh, the Le Mans entry list has also been revealed, and as Baxter said, because of the automatic entries for the Super Season, the uh, entries that you automatically get invited to for winning the ELMS, or winning IMSA or winning the Asian Le Mans Series means that the the grid that we have in the the Le Mans race, the twenty four Hours Le Mans, at least for twenty eighteen, is pretty well all full up. There's nine reserve cars of which I think already three have pulled out. So there you go. That's how that's going at the moment. But uh, we do have the same 10 LMP1 entries as we did from the WEC. There's no extra entries at this stage, and I don't think there will be, um, simply because of the costs involved with running an LMP1 car. LMP2 jumps from... 7 entries for the WEC season to 20 entries on the grid for Le Mans, including the likes of United Autosports, 4 cars from Jackie Chan DC, so the 2 cars in the WEC season, plus 2 cars from the winners of the Asian Le Mans series. Interestingly, 2 of them being run by Sport in Oricas, 2 being run by Owen in Ligier's which is really, really interesting for me to see the same team run two different chassis with two different crews, I guess. Um, And then sort of the usual names that we saw last year from the ELMS. I think all of the teams that we saw last year from the ELMS, except for um, ARC Bratislava, which is a reserve entry, and I think have pulled out of that reserve entry. So yeah, because last year in LMP2, we had like, 27 entries or something like that. So they've had to take a step back, but what that does mean is that GTE, and especially GTE Pro, has swelled to ludicrous levels for Le Mans. We have 17 cars gridded up for GTE Pro for Le Mans this year. 17. That's a race... That that, that could be a grid that I would watch in itself.
1: I think they call that a street fight. Uh,
0: <laughs> basically
1: and, and and I think to back up to one thing that you mentioned uh, the uh, the JCDC slash onroke is about the only questionable thing on the whole of the Le Mans entry list which is amazing that it's only two cars because usually it's like oh what's this French soccer playing goalie doing uh, on the grid instead of, like, all of these former champions. Well, um, I mean,
0: that French soccer-playing goalkeeper is actually a pretty decent AM driver and had a good team built around him. And he's got an entry for this year as well, so...
1: And I'm sure ha- being French has absolutely nothing to do with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> French X-Files theme plays. Anyway, USA... Which same. is just
1: the regular X-Files theme, but played on a violin? Fucking <laughs> <it, bleh. laughs> God damn. It. Anyway, so
0: so so. Um, you were saying what? What makes the Onroak Jackie Chan cars so questionable for you?
1: It seems like a little bit of double dipping. Of oh hey, we're running the WEC, and oh yeah, we're also going to take our automatic entries. And I don't think anybody is under. Any impression that oh yeah these are these are four totally different cars? It's no, it's four four cars run under the same team, which according to the ACO was something that wasn't going to happen. They said uh, you know it's two cars a team, that's all we can fit. Uh, so it seems like a bit of an end around to try and get around that and sneak two extra cars on the grid.
0: Well, the flip side to that is they sell those entries, those automatic entries to whoever is the highest bidder, which will be just some... Probably will be... We're being a little um cynical here, but probably will be just some random French team. So, like, I honestly don't mind that too much because it means that the overall grid has a higher quality. And the fact I that... I mean, yeah.
1: but, you know... Oh, okay, what other two LMP2 chassis run by some other team's could those, you know, renter drives have gone to rather than somebody that already has two cars on the grid?
0: So, probably the big one that has been surprising-slash-disappointing for a few people was the ARC Br- Bratislava car, which uh, has since said that they're not going to continue their LMP2 program if they're not going to be at Le Mans, um, which is a shame, but that's that's the the way it sort of goes, I guess. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I can't really think of a team that has the quality that would be able to be on par with the J- uh, JDC, J- the JCDC team um, that isn't already on the grid. Like the only one I can think of for me, on uh, like personal biased reasons, is High Class Racing, and they're like the second uh, reserve anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um,
1: uh, yeah, but I mean. I guess where I come from is the fact that the ACO said, all right, here are the ground rules for how we're going to give out invites. And then they said, ah, well, we're going to let this slide and we're going to give two extra invites to a team just because they put something else on the doors. It, it, it seems like the historical thing that we always kind of look at and you know shrug our shoulders at and say, eh, it's the ACO being the ACO.
0: Yeah, I can understand that, and it'll probably become more controversial come the lead into the event, but for now, I'm okay with it. If I actually sat back and analyzed it a bit more, like you have, obviously, I might get a bit ticked off, but honestly, I just really want to watch see good racing, and this gives me the best chance to see good racing, so it doesn't really bother me, at this st- at this stage at least.
1: I'm not happy unless I'm unhappy. <laughs> Gotta agree of, with
0: you there, buddy. All of a sudden, it ah, oh, it's like it's like the glass breaking moment. I just understand why you continuously engage in all of these forlorn battles on in comment sections. Ah, oh, Baxter, you just wrinkled my brain. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Uh, GTE. So already mentioned seventeen GTE pro entries. So that's the full grid of ten that we have in the WEC. On top of that. An additional car from AF Corsa, uh, two additional cars from uh, Ford and Porsche, and two additional cars from Corvette. So, <laughs> like we thought, GTE was your peak last year. Nah, man. If if GTE this year is anything like GTE at Le Mans last year, we are in for an absolute treat.
1: Bring out the sandbags.
0: Nah, no sandbags. No sandbags for Ford. Um, but. In terms of GTM, their class is getting cut down from twenty last year to, uh, sorry, thirteen this year, um, which means that it is possibly the best chance that Paul Delahaye is ever going to get at getting a Le Mans victory that he should have already had. So. That would be a perfect way to throw out the... Oh, sorry, not to throw out, but to to pass on the old Aston Martin advantage, right? For it to get a win at Le Mans in its last pro season and a win at Le Mans in its last Am season at the hands of Paul Dallana. Oh, that would... That would that would warm my heart so much. Yeah, that's that's a, that's that
2: might be a pipe dream. We'll see though. I I just can't get. I'm enamored with the GT Pro. I mean, it's just uh, I, this it's just literally just a, like it is. It's the street fight. I they just keep bringing more guys to the fight. I I'm not gonna complain. I love it. It's just crazy. There's like like four Porsches that are basically like like all factory in a sense. Uh, three not in Ferraris. a sense, not in a sense. They are, they are. factory, <laughs> three factory Ferraris, four factory Fords. And then you basically have, I mean, and the, the rest, you <laughs> Aston Martin and obviously the BMW and obviously Corvette who've won this thing with the C seven. I, it's just, it's so good. I cannot wait for Lamar for, for GT. Pro. That's that's it's like it's a race nuts. in itself. That's like, you can yeah, basically could like a, a solid, for, like if, if you had a 17 grid, filled for formula one for this quality of
0: cars i mean would you not take that damn that's a pretty good analogy man that's fantastic yeah i'd be all over that like a like a cheap suit Mm. just all over it Mm.
1: and and my favorite part is that jimmy bruni is not in a ferrari anymore so i can root in favor of ferrari and continue to root against porsche and (laughs) it's just made my day (laughs)
0: oh god I hate you so much right now. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the, the petite Fuji fiasco now? Yeah, I guess we... Yeah, why not? We awesome. Can just mix it up. So, um, so, something that everyone should have seen by now is the fact that um, because of the Formula One and WEC rounds at uh, the Circuit of the Americas and Fuji clashing and the uh, interest of uh, Fernando Alonso being a part of the Toyota team for lmp one and wanting him to be at as many rounds of the championship as he can, they have changed the date of the Fuji 6 hours of the WEC away from the weekend that it clashes with the US Formula 1. What it does does now clash with is the uh, IMSA finale at Petit Le Mans. So, yeah, so that's the big issue here. What that means is that It does give Fernando Alonso the ability to race at Fuji, which is an important uh, marketing decision to make because he is a big ticket driver around the world, and also Fuji is Toyota's home race, so they do want to make sure that they have as much marketability at that race as they can get. On the flip side, it does mean that a significant number of the WEC drivers will be unable to complete their commitments to various IMSA teams in the uh, North American Endurance Championship, um, which means that you have to draft a, uh, like a string of new drivers. They, The new drivers can't win the championship, the old drivers can't win the championship, and all those sort of things. And it does... On the same token, reduce the quality of the uh, IMSA race because you don't, you no longer have the likes of, say, Roman Dumas or uh, nikolai Lapierre or Alex Brundle, etc., who are going to be fulfilling their WEC commitments. So, I'm pretty sure that we have two sides, both sides of the issue represented here. I'm pretty sure that Baxter, you're very much in the Aco, you've done something a bit dumb here, camp. Whereas Cookie is very much in the "nah, this is all about marketing and business," and from that standpoint, it's a good idea, sort of camp. So, we'll start off with with Cookie. Cookie, why is this a good idea? Why is this an important thing that happened? You start with me. Um, I know that you're passionate so, about this, and I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, for, yeah. Um, I can't wait for Baxter to absolutely tear you a new one. <laughs> oh,
2: great. Um, so. I mean, I, I think it's inevitable. I don't, I don't think this is the preferred thing. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that this is this is Toyota's uh, right and obligation to fulfill uh, their destiny with Fernando Alonso's. I just think this is the environment in which we're in in, in motorsport, in which we haven't seen this in a very long time, where you have an legit pecking order for talent in uh in driving as well as just in a social media presence. I mean, you just have uh older drivers, I mean, Ayrton Senna back when social media wasn't a thing. I mean, he was still, you know, the most one of the most popular drivers in the world, completely recognizable. It wasn't like he could get out of it. Um Fernando's in that same realm. I mean, not of the same, you know, he doesn't have the same Uh, hardware at this point that ireton does but he draws the same audience he draws the same kind of aura of a race car driver who's really 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 good and again you haven't seen that for a very long time uh the ability for really really good drivers to just go i'm gonna go try to do something else and do something different so um, automatically you have that uniqueness to it that hasn't been done before uh, he's a some say transcending kind of driver who who really can do and be competitive in a lot of different uh, categories of vehicles who wants to get the triple crown, which is something that only one driver has, has ever done a bunch of, you know, people talk about it. Um, another one has basically said that, you know, he could get it faster than Fernando can. Um, so, I mean, the aura around this, of uh, this story is just right for the taking and basically the FIA were an ACO were handed a decision to make. It was basically beside, you know, choosing kids, but they ultimately went with what they thought would be best for everybody, which is them. Um, and they went with this decision. I, I, I stand. I like, I, this is just what you have to do. I mean, you have, if you're going to bring up Fernando in, you've got to make sure that he's doing all rounds. So it, you have to make sure he can attend. So if that is, he doesn't attend, uh, you know. He doesn't attend the F1 clash um, either in WC or an F1. That has to be calculated in, or the date has to be changed. And the WCFAI figured that they would lose. They think they could have lost more on the opportunity of turning Fernando away this year than if they would have gained it by basically switching the date and forcing a bunch of drivers to have to drive a WC and not go to IMSA. So yeah, they they pulled the IMSA. They they burned some brownie points. That's for sure but if this was a the decision they were going to make, this is, they had to do it. And I, I mean, I can get upset at the decision maybe, but ultimately like, uh, I can't fault them for what they thought was the best decision for WC Lamar and themselves. I mean, I don't, I, I don't see the problem with that. I, 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 I'm agitated with a lot of people that are just vehemently upset with the, with FIA and ACL, like how, like we should kill them because of how awful they're and like, and, and, my thing is the ripple effect of all this where it's you have a breaking off of a, a segmentation of kind of factions almost and now you see andy lally commenting that IMSA has to separate themselves from the fia because the fia spokesperson for women advancement is or, is stupid and it's like okay yeah, so anything a- now is just a little thing to just go well fia are dumb and is dumb so we should do our own thing yay like i don't that I don't understand, and and the FIA and W C are fully responsible for causing that rift. But I ultimately don't I don't disagree at all with with what had to be done when they decided to make that decision.
1: Baxter, and
0: go uh, go go ham.
1: <laughs> Honestly, I I agree with most of that. Oh, um, God
0: damn it, you guys are meant I... to be opposing <laughs> each other.
1: <laughs> oh don't don't worry, don't I'm I'm gonna warm myself up to that. Uh, I mean. Yeah, I mean, the the WEC made the decision that they had to make, given what circumstance they were in. You know, they've got the opportunity to, to have Alonzo race for the only manufacturer left in LMP1 uh, at that manufacturer's home race. Uh, and, you know, there's, you know, what, it, it hurts Roughly ten drivers uh, who were going to run both.
0: I think um, it hurts a bit more than ten drivers. There's the the group of LMP1 slash LMP2 drivers who are going to be doing double duty for the prototype class, as well as the group of drivers uh, in GTE Pro, for example, who are going to be who would have been doing double duty, like the Jimmy Brunies, the you know the Christensen's. Nobody cares guys. about
1: Jimmy Bruni. <laughs> Play uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean yeah so like the act the individual decision on its own is you know it, it was a pragmatic decision it it's hard to fault them for making that call i think the and and i also agree especially on the idea that like this is the worst thing that the FIA or the ACO have ever done, and this, like, you know, this should like cause a brand new rift in sports cars. I mean, and, and to be honest, it's happened before. The this is the third clash between WEC Fuji and IMSA Petit, so it's gonna happen again. It didn't kill either series before. It, it's not great, but it's not the end of the world. Now, where I... Go ahead. No, I,
2: my, my only thing before, and I'll allow you to continue, is do you, in that per, uh, respect, do we all think that Fernando is worth that kind of thing? Because, I mean, if we kind of agree with that, that's that's really where the argument lies, right? It really isn't whether or not you need to change the Fuji Jade. It's whether or not we should be a by, you know, allowing Fernando to kind of come in and allow this change to happen i personally feel like it's ultimately going to be a benefit um that he's in the championship rather than not being it but it's it's still i think that's really the argument is whether or not you think the changes and all the stuff made for fernando was worth it is he worth that kind of change
1: and i think to answer that you really gotta ask what the gain is meant to be is it meant to be is the super season better Or does Toyota get out of their Fuji race what they hope to get out of it, which is if they show up and they don't have uh, Fernando Alonso and they don't have credible privateer competition and they're just showing up to do victory laps is does that meet their marketing needs uh, in the class for this year or is this potentially taking capital out of that uh, IMSA ACO partnership, uh, which has been going on for how long, as well as just all of these long term WEC drivers who are going to be around after the super season and Alonso potentially will not? Um, how much have they spent to get that advantage from having Alonso? Mm. Cause
0: it's a bit like chasing the holy grail in this aspect because, uh, like, let's put it in real terms here. Alonso having Alonso as a full season WEC driver is a massive pull from a marketing standpoint, not only for the teams and for the for the events that are going to be promoting him, but also for the series at as a whole. Like, we saw a massive uptick in uh in traffic on the subreddit from people who were coming across. Uh, in uh, from Formula One because it got announced that Alonso was coming along to to be a part of this series, and so all of a sudden it generates interest in a similar way to how uh, Kimui Kobayashi coming across after his stint at Sauber and Mark Webber coming across from his stint at Red Bull into Porsche. And when Nico Halkenberg came into lmp one as well, it sort of generated the same level of interest because Formula 1 fans will often be fans of other motorsport as well. And the fact that you have a driver of the caliber of Alonso, who is... One of the top-tier drivers in the world, and I think people forget that because of the sort of uh, cars that he's been drafted into drive recently, especially in the terms of the the McLaren, which has had documented problems for the last few years now. Um, people seem to forget how good Alon- Alonso is slash was in his heyday. Um, he was the first real guy to dethrone Michael Schumacher. So when you put it like that, he- he's definitely got the driving talent um, to... He's going to walk into that Toyota and he's going to be on the ball straight away. Let's, there's no questions about that. So uh, the fact uh, that the series has him as a part of it, the fact that the manufacturer can say, we've we got Philan- Fernando Alonso, and uh, you know having him as a potential WEC world champion uh, to supplement whatever he's doing in F1, I think it's a big marketing pool for the series but as yeah as Baxter you said it's a matter of how much of that have you uh, how much of that is that worth compared to what you're spending on the IMSA side in terms of simmering the relationship there because of the the clash in the um, in the calendar and yeah you said before that's happened. Not, this isn't the first time that there's been a clash between Petit Lamont and Fuji, but I think the difference is now that because you have such a high cross-pollination of talent at the top of those of these championships, because both of these championships are fantastic and extremely competitive at the top level and are brilliant to watch and brilliant to compete in because the level of competition is so high, I think that's now become the major issue. It's the fact that both the... IMSA WeatherTech Tech Sports Car Championship and the WEC are competing for the same calibre of drivers and I don't think that's something we've seen before. At least not in the same way that we have now. Not where um not, like not where you've got it's pretty much half the grid at this stage is gonna be missing one of those two races. So Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, I that I think makes it more difficult.
1: if you go back to say like 2014 era, where you have a lot of factory LMP1 teams and not a lot of factory IMSA prototype teams. Um, You know, the, the issues of driver scheduling were not as severe as they are now, where you have a lot of drivers with IMSA DPI teams which have factory backing are now not able to race in the WEC whether in an LMP1 privateer car or a GTE or a P2. And actually that that's really where I think the issue lies is that the you know the WEC has let itself get forced into this partly because they've not had a LMP1 factory formula that has been able to weather dieselgate and so they're really stuck being beholden to to toyota here um in years past they haven't kept their powder dry of saying oh yes we're going to avoid this petite Le uh conflict at all costs so that you know yeah if this had been the first time that there was a conflict i don't think there would be anywhere near the level of uh, uproar over it because people would say, oh yeah, totally, Alonzo is worth it. But when you know that the ACO has made that decision and that choice in the past when not forced to just say, oh no, we're, we're the WEC, we're going to host a race on, on your weekend without your that kind of star power.
0: Your championship concluding weekend, let's not forget.
1: Exactly. Uh, and I think that's where you get... This idea that the WEC hasn't shown the respect in the past or hasn't shown the deference, perhaps, uh, that that's where you get this issue. And and the the one thing I'll leave on is I think that the Japanese international calendar uh, plays a significant role in here as well, where they really do try and cram all of their visiting international races into the month of October, Mm. which really ties F1 and the WEC's hands because, okay, you've only got four or five weekends that you've got to cram these two big races in with not have them clash against each other. And, oh yeah, the fact that it's typhoon season uh, where you have a reasonable chance that the WEC race is going to basically not happen. Yeah, get washed out. Uh, you know, it it it's all, you know, it's a lot of various factors that have come together. And I think any one or two of them would not be so much of a problem. But when it's everything all at once, people kind of look at it and say, Eh, really, really, we've got to do this again.
0: And the fact that it's all, they they also changed the calendar already to specifically avoid that conflict. I think that makes it a bit of an extra kick in the guts. Is because the there was originally the Fuji uh, f- sorry the Fuji Petite conflict. Then the ACO changed their date to fix that, and then the alonzo announcement was made there was oh wait there's a clash with the usgp for that weekend and then they switched it back i think that is one of the things at least if i was an impster fan solely that i would be extremely annoyed by and it would show a level of disrespect i think to the series which it does uh Cookie, well, what are your thoughts and, on that? And, oh and sorry the other, Baxter. Thing, yeah.
1: the other thing is Because it's after Daytona, like the season has already begun, you know, it's very difficult uh, to change the petite weekend, especially since it's also the the champion's banquet and everything. Um, And and as big of a fan of the super season concept as I am, uh, I'm a little concerned, uh, but also hopefully hopefully this will work out that the calendars will be a little bit trickier to figure out when the WEC is finalizing its calendar kind of in the middle of everybody else's season. Um, hopefully that means that it works out where basically the WEC uh, sets their calendar for the first half of a calendar year, and then IMSA can work around that. And then they set their calendar and the WEC sets the beginning of their season uh to avoid those conflicts and maybe that works out a little bit better
2: oh, i agree um I, yeah most of those points uh i think you nailed it pretty well especially on the uh the difference that we have um in the inter championships even national series that we have 2018 versus yeah 2013 2014 where you had wc with uh two prototype teams you know some gte effort i think we had what eight nine gt pros IMSO was basically still in ALMS mode um, and had a, some stalwarts in there, but not much. You had, you know, some entries that you could say a little bit uh, once 2014 hit. But again, I, I, I feel like even back then you were trying to join the WEC uh, season instead of trying to join the the prototype IMSOs like series. It just it still felt second rate, and it wasn't until really last year. Um, and this year where it's really felt like you could legitimately say some of these prototypes are pretty damn quick and they, you know, they're they're fielding pretty caliber teams. And you could even say that some of the equipment could probably go up against some of the other international teams and beat them. And I feel like right when it's kind of gaining momentum and IMSA fans are seeing that momentum build, then you see WC try to squander that by, you know, changing the date and, you know, sacrificing really a lot of goodwill merit that the WC is loaning IMSA to build its brand over here so uh i mean sure fine that that that's a great attitude to have but i mean it's an insecure attitude because i mean ultimately i don't really i mean yes i want to see the the best drivers i can at a racetrack but you know going petite now this will be my fourth year going i'm still going i i will watch the wc race when uh in between sessions and uh or at the end of the uh you know as what is it saturday morning i guess so and uh, before the race starts so I'll get my fill, but uh I but I, I do understand the sacrifices that obviously now Impsa ha- is ha- are forced to make. They're not really given the options mm. not do it. They're basically forced into this hand to basically lose a little bit. And I don't think anybody in this culture wants to lose that much. And so it's uh it definitely plays uh plays a factor, I think. And uh ultimately it's uh it, it whether or not it's a good thing too, um
0: thinking out what's on. Old- we're only going to see with right. time. It's, it's, right. Right. We, we don't know the effects that having Fernando Alonso in this championship will have on the series. We don't know what the effects of having those drivers not appear at Petit or at Fuji are going to have on the series. So we can speculate and conjecture all we want now, but the only thing that's going to tell us the answer is getting to that weekend in October and seeing how it all pans out.
1: And and one of the things I'll say is, I'm, I'm really glad that IMSA didn't... Try and change the date uh, to avoid the clash. Um, partly because it was it was so late. Uh, I'm sure a lot of fans had uh, had travel arrangements already set, um, as well as just again, you know, that it's their championship finale weekend. They've got they've got hotel ballrooms booked and all this. So you know, for them to say, "Hey, you know what? We we don't really." have the opportunity to change it, I think shows a lot of confidence in their product that, yeah, you know, it's a bad situation, but we're going to survive and we don't feel like we absolutely need uh, to change uh, to accommodate another series.
0: Mm, It shows that Imsa's really got their own, got their own culture and got their own feet and doesn't need the ACO and the WEC to really service them anymore, which I think is really good. Um, on just to go back a bit to your point, Baxter, about having the super series uh dates get sorted out like halfway in the season and those sort of things. Um, I think that as time goes on and you start building up that date equity that people are so so much on about these days, that'll become less and less less and less of a problem because you have the same events. In the same parts of the world on the same around the same date, so everyone sort of knows to prepare about prepare for those things. And the worst part is going to be this super season, the transition transitional year where things are just going to kind of get jumbled up and thrown a bit out the window. Um, that's going to be the worst in terms of scheduling. But I think come twenty twenty or the 2019-2020 season, or if even further on. Uh, into the early 20s, um, that's going to be less of an issue and we will see all of these uh, series and championships work together and not have this problem. Um, Because you've got to remember, for example, Formula 1, the WEC and IMSA have more championship rounds now than they ever did before, especially Formula 1. Formula 1 used to be a 16 race season and now it's, what, like 20 or something ridiculous? Um,
1: and and they want to go to like 25.
0: Mm, uh, the super season the super season is 9 rounds which is more sorry which is the same as it was for the regular season just spread across 18 months. IMSA has now what 13 races which is more than it's had in the entire time I've been watching it. So these date clashes are going to become more prevalent and it's going to come more of an issue simply because there is more racing at the top level.
1: And, and I think it's fair to say that the WEC probably gets a little bit more flack than they deserve simply because IMSA has had the tradition of, oh yeah, we're going to announce our calendar in like August or September when we go to Road America. Mm. And the WEC has to wait for however many World Motorsport Council meetings to finally set theirs in like November or December. So even if these dates have been worked out, you know, they're probably getting reworked three or four times as F1, you know, we've, we've actually seen it with announcements where, oh yeah, we're having it this date. And then F1 says, oh no, sorry, we've scheduled a, a race. Then You yeah. right, have to change around and go back and go back again. Um, So if anything else, you know, the fact that, they'll be staggered means that you know imza has the opportunity now to be the one that's announcing dates afterwards if a clash is inevitable so that you know we at least spread the pain and then with date equity the unfortunate thing is especially with with leman and detroit and then Petit and fuji you know we've got these four races that have date equity on roughly two weekends uh that are pretty much always going to be clashing until you know one of the two in the clash leaves their respective calendar
0: Mm. and that's and that's just one of the unfortunate realities of this sort of thing any final comments on this before we move on because we're running a little bit behind
2: pretty much we've, we've pretty much covered most of it almost beaten it to that i i would really i mean ultimately i don't It doesn't ever feel right to me to ever change the calendar, uh, the series calendar for a driver. I mean, but there are exceptions to it, and I understand why it's done now. But uh, you know, I'm just, I understand, and I'm, I'm, I guess accepting it. But and I know it's not really, you know, it's not really. It's just, it's a timing thing, and it just ended up that Mm. way that it it affected people negatively. But I don't think it was really a malicious intent. You know, I. There was, there was, I think, there was way more maliciousness with the Baku Lamar clash yeah. than there is with this. I, you know, I think there's more, there's, you know, there's goals that everybody has to try to get, and this is just another one that a few ones wanted more than the others.
0: And so. I think just to wrap, wrap everything up, uh, I think the WEC has made this decision for the benefit of the series and for the casual fan, which is going to be where they're going to be earning most of their money, as opposed to uh the drivers and the serious fans who will watch both or want to participate in both regardless the the casual fan is only going to, i i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the new fans we come uh, we come into across the season would only be watching because of Alonso and from that perspective this decision absolutely makes sense uh one thing that uh, no, I'm gonna cut that friggin' transition. That was crap. Moving on now, uh, we have an event coming up. Woo! It's been so long that we, since we've had an event that we kind of forgotten about these series. But there's no, there's we basically had our off season in the month of February, and now we're back. We're back with the 12 hours of Sebring, which uh, is the second round, of course, of the North American Endurance Championship, second round of the IMSA WeatherTech Championship, and is uh, yeah. It's a different challenge to the last round we had at Daytona which is all high speed and banking and acceleration and it's very much how do you control your car over bumps, how do you get out of corners effectively, how do you manage a lot of traffic on such a small track. So what did we learn from Daytona that we can apply to to this round at Sebring guys? What do we learn? What, what did we learn that we can actually apply here?
1: Uh, that we like have not having the prototype challenge class, and it makes for races that don't feel very IMSA-y. Yeah,
0: that's actually something that we did learn. I was just going to go with nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, that too.
1: <laughs> I mean, the, the BOP for Daytona, ever since there's been BOP at Daytona, has always been a BOP for Daytona and not for the rest of the season. Hmm. Um, It's just it's like Le Mans Uh, and, you know, everybody's running their low downforce kit mandated now. Um, You know, there's there's only so much we're going to learn. Not only are there different tires for Daytona, but Sebring Continental is bringing a brand new road course tire for everybody. So, I mean, things are really kind of up in the air.
0: Mm. And we had, the only the only piece of information that we have now coming to Sebring is the tire test, and the only thing that I really saw that was of note from the tire test is that the Mazda caught fire. So, really, we we learned nothing.
2: Yeah, yeah as usual. Exactly. Because um, they're, they're, they're different races. Uh, there's definitely strong teams that, if they're at the end of 24 hours of Daytona, they're probably most likely going to end up finishing the 12 hours of Sebring, but um overall pace is going to be different uh the overall speed and and how yeah, i'm sure how the the pace works throughout the weekend will be slightly different too but i mean i would say grab the first top five cars at the finish at daytona and give them i guess a little bit more of an advantage than everybody else just because they were able to finish pretty fast at daytona in 24 hours but yeah outside of that there's not a whole lot you could draw um, I am looking for, uh, Mazda to do better than to be on fire. And I don't think they're going to catch on fire, um, during the race. I think they'll probably catch on fire. Maybe once during the weekend, <laughs> I well, the this pits. is a thing that we're know. predicting.
0: Um, but, so...
2: no, no, but beyond that, I, I, I genuinely think that we're going to have some P2, um, challengers mm. and definitely core, core autosport has r- really impressed me at Daytona. And I really do feel like they're going to be a contender against the DPIs for Sebring.
0: I am excited to see how far a core goes this year. I really am expecting, from what they showed at Daytona, I'm expecting bigger things from them, and I think they can take it to the likes of Action Express and Wayne Taylor Racing and Penske, and we can really see a battle between the international platform form versus the DPIs. Um, Cookie, how long is it until you leave for Sebring? Uh, Literally leave tomorrow afternoon. Woo! Are you excited? course you're
2: excited yeah yeah uh, yeah flying down to florida and uh trying to work up a tan so i don't uh, so i don't scald myself uh after forgetting suntan lotion on myself at some point because i always end up burning myself
0: so what's the so so in the last few years we have seen some level of inclement weather at sebring uh pop up and change the face of the race are we expecting that again this year do you know
2: um more mild conditions like last year um i haven't looked at the weather updates now I mean it, basically it's it's Florida so week out is usually not very predictable <laughs> but they've been pretty bang on a little bit for these so it's looking right now like it's last year so mid 70s upper 70s with 40s temperatures Fahrenheit by the way so this is all that, that would be really hot if it was in Celsius yeah um, that would be outside well, of stupid. that yeah would <laughs> be that would be stupid so beyond that I, the weather should be okay um I don't know about the rains but we've had we've had some pretty stormy conditions two years ago that really kind of threw a wrench in uh, in the middle of the race um you know for fans and the and the teams alike so I uh, it's like and i have a i have a friend who's a meteorologist down in florida too so i uh, i usually keep up with the uh the weather updates they usually have a they've been having some pretty crazy isolated and scattered thunderstorms throughout the last month or so so i wouldn't be surprised if uh, if we get a afternoon shower or something, all of a sudden pop up and uh, and kind of throw Ooh. a wrench for everything again.
0: Drama, drama, drama. That sounds amazing. Picks for prototype. I'm gonna go with the the Cadillacs and Core. I think that those two teams showed the most from Daytona, and because Sebring is such a, a bumpy and crazy sort of outfit, I I think that the teams that did well last year will do well again. And I just really like Core. They they've impressed me a lot, so that's who I'm going with. Anyone Anyone else want to throw another hat in the ring?
1: I am looking at the Acuras and the extreme speed motorsport Nissans. Um, I think that they've had their time to develop and uh, they've got the chance to shine unless they run into problems with reliability because we know the Cadillacs, those guys are just absolutely bulletproof.
0: Cookie, any any other predictions? So you've already said core. You already said the top five Mazda Mazda, won't yeah. catch
2: fire during the race. Yeah, I mean, i I think I think Penske gonna be definitely battling some of the caddies for overall uh, top honors. Um, but I, I really, again, I'm a, I'm a huge P2 fan. So give me give me uh, give me some uh, JD Miller and uh, or JC Miller, and give me some uh, Core Autosport to hopefully challenge him. But it. I, I don't think it'll be anything different than uh, what it was at at uh, Daytona, which was pretty much a uh, an Acura, Cadillac uh, bout for the the top honors, and just hopefully uh, Mazda can stay alive. And I just I think that chassis is fast, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we do see a Mazda pretty close to the front at the beginning of the race, at least or at some point around it, before something
0: happens. You're one so. of the very few people who think the Riley is fast.
2: I I I mean, look, they've got. Look, I, that's the thing you can, people say that it's hard to dress up a pig and make it look pretty. But I think if you give, like, if you're, pe- if you're spending enough money, you can do a lot of stuff, man. You can make a absolute <laughs> piece of trash. You can make a tank go fast. So I feel like that, uh, yeah, it's probably not the most, it's not going to ever be the fastest chassis, but I think they got enough people behind it to it fast.
0: So Fair enough. we'll see. Um, are we brave enough to make any predictions about GTLM or GTD, or are we just going to say, just, just, good luck?
2: Um, good possibility that it might be BMW winning.
0: What? What? Oh, wait, yeah, because I... they had that, um, agreement, signed and released agreement between them and uh the IMSA to get better BOP.
1: Well, and you also look at, what has BMW traditionally been known for with their GTE programs? They have a car with a lot of downforce and a lot of drag, so it's really good on the twisty circuits and not very good at Daytona. Where were we just at and where are we going to? Now, for me, I tend to go with the number four Corvette. Uh, it was the threes turn in the sun last year, and they tend to... Uh, alternate which car has the the amazing series, so I'm going to go with the four.
0: Fair enough. I still believe that Porsche can bring it back, but I don't believe that much anymore after what was a pretty abysmal Daytona in terms of Porsche power. um As much as it pains me to say it, I think Ford are going to be the GTLM winners because they haven't shown any any chinks in the armor from Daytona. They were just unstoppable, and I. It pains me to say I think it will be more of the same. And I hate myself now. I hate myself so much.
1: <laughs> Imza has to get them their championship before they leave, just oh, like they did for Dodge. the Vipers.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, GTD, is anyone brave enough to make a prediction here? I'm not. I just think it's going to be a team that's been around for more than a few seasons. So like a Riley or a someone like that, or a Scuderia Corsa. I would love to see Land take it, but I don't think that they... I Because Sebring just one of those places that form gets thrown out the window. So I, I think it's going to be more experience that takes the win on this one.
1: I think it's going to be a heart, spirit of race, and CJ Wilson racing podium.
0: Hmm. Cookie
2: that would be amazing <laughs> i would i would buy that immediately oh man i would bet on that too i don't even bet um yeah i uh it's uh, are you sure acura uh lexus i mean do we even have to say the teams can we just say like the makes because i don't even can i there's you could even pick between the some of the makes that that who might be better between them and overall the best um, you could say Lambo because they were, have done well at Daytona. You could say that momentum is a thing, so they're carrying, uh, you know, confidence from completing a 24-hour race in which they won the first time for that make. You could say that uh, Lexus has got an overall really good package. Just whether or not the drivers can stand on the track, you'd say Acura, who really has been. So really what you're good. saying
0: is no one and everyone, everybody,
2: everybody's a, a, is an option. It's just basically who who can rebound the best, who can kind of who can stay at the front and bounce kind of around there and not really suffer a whole lot of problems mid-race. And then once mid-race is over, about three, four hours left, see who's left, and there you go. Those are your favorites. That's honestly we're the only thing I can tell you that's anything of any educated guess.
0: Fantastic. So what you basically told us was nothing.
2: Absolutely, Jack, Nothing. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. And on that note, it's time to end the show. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, Cookie and Baxter, for being a part of this with me. Um, right, Baxter, we'll hopefully see you on a lot more in the future. Uh, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it's this. It open. Yeah. that has uh, been great. Cookie, enjoy your flight down to Florida. Enjoy your weekend in Sebring. Can't wait to hear all about it. Hell oh, yeah, guys.
2: Oh, and uh, by the way,
0: Gazoo! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Fernando!
2: We're gonna win Lamar this year!
0: And on that note, than that. good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of World Endurance Chat. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh! da 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 Okay, there we Balls. go. Balls.